What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. My name is Zoila Rios, and the scripture reading can be found in Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not? Jesus answered, How can the guest, guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. My name is Matt, one of the pastors downtown here. Um, That was fun, right? So I wanted to just take this opportunity with the dedications that we did this morning and just say, um, one, hey, parents, we have a cry room. Um, This is not a passive-aggressive announcement at all. So like straight back through these doors under the drop-down screen, we do have a lobby over there with a TV, and you can listen to the service there if your kids are really wild. But I want to say to the rest of you, it is exciting actually to have little ones in here like worshiping and observing what their parents and their community of faith are doing. And so I would encourage all of us that when you hear a child crying or laughing or dropping something, that it just rejoices your heart rather than makes you tense and irritated, just to say how many churches would give anything to see all these little ones. churches that are kind of aging out and passing away, and the Lord has blessed us here at Park, not only in this location, but over in the Highlands, to have just tons and tons of little kids and parents that are extremely interested in raising them in the community of faith. So as they're here, and as they make those little chirpy sounds that kids make, just let that rejoice your heart of like, thank you, God, you are doing what you promised to do, which is building your church. And one of the ways you're doing that is through our own children, who are kind of our first sphere of discipleship, okay? Um, I want to say with that, we have, as we just reopened Park Kids, we have a number of families, probably four or five families that are back in Park Kids three out of every four Sundays of the month. They're only able to be in here once. So I would invite all of you to, to very seriously, as we took those vows to one another, kind of covenanted with one another of like, hey, these are not just your kids and we're not sitting back here just lobbing accusations and criticism at your children. These are part of our extended Christian family. And we're saying, I will invest in these kids, even as, of course, you are the parents. And one of the easiest opportunities for you, if we had a whole bunch of people, um, because when we reopened from COVID, we went from two kids' classes to four kids' classes right out of the gate every week. So that means we need eight volunteers every week. And we'd love to get like 16 more of you, okay? If you're dating, here's a little trick. It's like, you know what I'm going to say. Um, serve kids together. And then um, girls, if he can't handle it, run, because this is a glimpse of your future, right? (laughs) Guys, if she can't handle it, okay, run. Um, 
No, we would, we would love, whether you're single or married, whether you're wanting kids or you're already overwhelmed with some of your own. Um, and in all seriousness, sometimes some of you have just had another child and you're like, I need a break. And let's, let's honor our moms and you know, even new dads by jumping in and serving together. So Caitlin was up here this morning. You can go talk to her after the service. Go talk to Hope um, that was up here taking photos. And she's our on-site part-time kids director. Um, so talk to them and just say, hey, I said that someday maybe I would jump into this. Well, your someday maybe is now. We, we could use you now. And this is, this is not just a need. This is an amazing opportunity to love on this next generation. So let's pray, and then we'll be in this text that Zoila just read for us. Heavenly Father, we, we pause to just thank you for this work that you're doing. And we got to enjoy just a snapshot here on this stage of what you're doing all over the world to make Jesus famous, to make sure that the next generation is not missing his justice and his mercy, his truth, his wisdom, his grace. So Lord, we celebrate you and we celebrate you intentionally in front of our children and the children of other people. And we declare with our lives, there's no greater person or thing or idea that we could possibly give our lives to than Jesus. Lord, help us now as we spend some time in your word, just a few verses this morning. Would you, would you be gracious, Holy Spirit, to, to be our guide, to be our counselor, to be our teacher as you've promised to be. There are some Sundays where we stand up here and uh, just, just feel all kinds of energy and excitement. There are other weeks that um, certain things have happened and there's, there's more a sense of brokenness. And Lord, I just pray that you always show up in our weakness and foolishness with your wisdom and your power revealing your glory so that disciples are made here in this room this morning. People leave behind things that they have been following to say, I want to follow this Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen. So a number of months ago, I was fishing up in Grand Lake. Um, as some of you are getting to know me, I'll tell you some story. I use illustrations so you can kind of get to know me a little bit. So I love fishing. It's a very relaxing thing. It's just the me thing. Friday, I went up to Clear Creek and was just doing some fly fishing until some people let their dog in the water right next to me. So if you're dog people, um, let's, we can talk later about what that does, okay? But I was fishing up in Grand Lake and... Uh, during the, during the winter months, the, the entire lake can freeze over to a depth of two or three feet thick ice. But there's this one place between Grand Lake and Shadow Mountain Lake where there's a channel, and because the water is always moving through that channel, it doesn't freeze. So I'm over there in this section, I'm fishing in this section of open water. And I'd been doing that since, oh, probably November when it starts to freeze over. And uh, this particular day, I'm just casting and retrieving and this whole section of like the shoreline that I was standing on just suddenly broke off and was like floating away into the channel. And I realized I'd been standing on a very thick ice shelf instead of the actual bank. Um, and for a second, I tried to do this thing where I'm like, I'm floating away and I like throw my leg back over to the bank and I'm like trying to like whatever that exercise is on your inner thighs, I'm trying to pull the two back together. Um, but, but the strength of the current was such that I realized very quickly I was gonna tear something um, and still get wet and lose all my gear. So I jumped back to the shore. 
and watch this big chunk of ice float away. Our text this morning says life is like that. Jesus is telling you, you can't stand, you can't straddle, you can't build your life on multiple foundations that are going in very different directions. You have to choose. Okay, and I'm gonna have three simple points for you this morning, beginning with a pointed accusation. A pointed accusation. This is verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, that is Jesus in context, and they're saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, by the way, if you don't know this, if you're new to the Christian faith, it's a problem right out of the gate if you're comparing yourself favorably to the Lord of the universe, which is what they're doing. We got it right. You got it wrong. But let me just give you a little background from the Torah, the law of Moses that would have made these people think that they were actually right and that Jesus and his disciples were wrong. Actually, fasting is commanded in the Torah, but it's interesting. Do you know how many days out of 365 days of the year, how many days were Jews actually commanded to fast in the book of Moses? And the answer is one. On the day of atonement, also called Yom Kippur, the people of God, the covenant people were commanded to fast on Yom Kippur. But by the time of Jesus, it was just a given that really devout Jews would fast twice a week. Every Monday and every Thursday, they would go from sundown of the previous day all the way through the next day until after sundown before they would eat again. Why? Now, Pastor Gary mentioned this last week with some of this background on the Pharisees, but the religious leaders of Israel were saying things like this. We've got to, if the Old Testament says that we should do this, if the law says that we should do this, then we need to expand on that and make more rules. Because if, if a little bit of law is good to get the Messiah to come, then a lot of law is better. And so they had taken something like fasting and they had expanded it and said, well, let's, let's do even more. Let's demonstrate to God our, our contrition, our, our taking a break from even physically feeding ourselves because then maybe he will hear our cries and he will send his promised Messiah and that will save us from Roman oppression. And so they're fasting, 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 fasting like, God, don't you see how serious we're taking this? Don't you see how repentant we are, how broken we are, how dedicated to you we are? Would you please send your Messiah? So you see a problem, right? So, so picture this. You got all these people trying to usher in the messianic kingdom by their austere and legalistic practices of piety, like fasting. And every time they look over at Jesus... And his disciples, he's feasting instead of fasting. He's hanging out with sinners, and he actually seems to be enjoying himself. And they're sitting here like, how in the world are we ever going to get Messiah to come if you keep acting like this? So they come to Jesus, and this is what they're saying. They're like, look, how can you be so sinful and so self-indulgent when the rest of us are practicing self-denial? And what's the hidden accusation in the question? It's not really a question, is it? And you've all had people ask you questions. You're like, that's not a question. That's a statement. That's an accusation. And that's what this is here. What they're saying is, Jesus, you and your disciples aren't taking Judaism seriously. Taking the law seriously looks like what we do, not what you do. So now point two, 
I'm calling this a parabolic answer because Jesus does not answer directly and pointedly in a way that maybe you would expect him to. He actually tells a series of three parables. Now, they're very short parables. Each is just one verse, but each parable has this in common. Jesus is describing three things that are incompatible. He says, fasting at a wedding feast, those two things are not compatible. He says, putting a new patch of cloth on an old garment, that's not compatible. He says, putting new wine into old wineskins, that's not compatible. So let's, let's look at this briefly. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, so this is the beginning of his answer, can wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. And you hear what Jesus is saying. On one level, he's just saying, look, it's wildly inappropriate for you to be fasting during a time that calls for feasting. And Jesus himself recognized, you can go back to the Sermon on the Mount just a couple chapters earlier, and Jesus commended fasting if it was done privately and wasn't a big show of like, look how spiritual I am, I'm fasting and you guys are eating. So he commended fasting, but he says, look, there's a time for fasting and there's a time for feasting and this is not the time for fasting. Then how many of you know that with all the spiritual disciplines that are good, there are certain times that those things are inappropriate, like praying when you're driving, you know? Now, you can pray with your eyes open when you're driving, but I think the Bible actually says nowhere you have to close your eyes. But if you're like, God, I'm just so committed, I'm gonna close my eyes and just block out everything, that would be inappropriate. Or how about this? When I was in high school, I had a very, very boring class. I won't tell you what it was in case my teacher comes back on the live stream and hears this. But I had a very boring class. And so I decided what I was gonna do that year is I was gonna read through the entire Bible from the Message Bible during her class. And I'd be looking down reading and I'd be laughing at different parts that I read because I was familiar with them in other versions and not the Message Bible. And I thought it was very funny. And I was reading the Bible and my teacher would be like, um, Mr. Han, can you please look up here? And I was like, well, I'm reading my Bible. You know, like what, what's, a, what's a Christian school teacher supposed to say about that? Well, she could say, this is a wildly inappropriate time for you to be doing your devotions. Okay. Um, so that's one level. Jesus is just saying, this is not the time. But on a second level, on a deeper level, Jesus is also saying, I'm the bridegroom of this parable. And what he's referencing is this familiar narrative from the Old Testament where God himself was pictured as the bridegroom or the husband of his people, his covenant people. For example, Isaiah 62, verse five, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea 2, 16, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. So what Jesus is saying is, here's a funny thing. You're sitting here fasting, hoping and hoping and hoping that God will answer your prayers and send the bridegroom. And he's like, the bridegroom's here. It's time to party. Let me suggest to you that it's, their, it's actually their legalism, their moralism, their orthodoxy that blinded them to the identity of Jesus. And so long as they can continue putting stars on their fasting chart, 
They didn't know what his presence looked like. And this is my first major subpoint that Jesus is making in this first parable. Here it is. The gospel way of Jesus is more about celebrating his presence than it is checking off your performance. And if your faith, if your way of following Jesus is more about do this, don't do this, uh, 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 follow these things, it's all about the law of God. I love the law of God so much, I miss God. Celebrating and enjoying God himself, then that's a problem. See, there's a difference between enjoying the pattern of something and enjoying the reality of that thing. And these Jews, some of them were so steeped in the patterns of like temple worship, they couldn't recognize the true temple when he came. They were so steeped in the sacrificial system, which was just a pattern, a shadow pointing forward to the one final true Passover lamb who would lay down his life. He's right there. And they're still like, now eh, let's go on making these sacrifices. And I, and I like it to, liken it to this. Um, let's just imagine that it's, it's wartime. It's World War II. I don't know. Um, and this husband has to go off to war. And every single day, this wife faithfully writes him a letter and includes a photo. Every day, whatever she's doing, she never misses a day of making time to write that letter and send that photo day after day after day. And let's imagine that after two years, he gets released to come home and he goes to his wife's place of employment because he's gonna surprise her. Like you see all those tear jerking videos of dads coming home from the military, right? So he, he, he comes to her place of work and he comes up behind her as she sits at her desk and covers her eyes and says, guess who? And imagine if she said, could you please leave me alone? I'm writing a letter to my husband. You'd be like, no, this is the time to whirl around recognizing his voice and throw open your arms and jump into his embrace and weep and laugh and rejoice because the husband that was gone is now present. And it's time for a party. It's time for a feast, okay? That's Jesus' point here with this first parable. He says, my way is more about celebrating the presence of God than checking your religious boxes. Now let's go on to the second and third illustrations that Jesus uses because these two are parallel and the two together actually make one point. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. I think both of these illustrations are simple enough. You understand them. If you have clothing, I mean, not that anybody patches their jeans anymore, but if you had big gaping holes in your jeans and you wanted to patch them, and these have been through the laundry a hundred or a couple hundred times, and you take a piece of unshrunk cloth and you stitch it on there and throw it in the laundry, and that piece shrinks, his point is it's going to tear away and actually cause a bigger and worse tear than before, right? When he's talking about the wineskin, same type of analogy. You know, back in Bible times, a wineskin was an animal skin, a goat skin, something like that. And originally, it had some elasticity to it. But you know, like your, the, the seats in your old car, that they've, they've been in the sun for a long time, and then it gets cold, and then it gets hot. And what do they do? That even the leather starts to crack and kind of get all gnarly. So that happens with wineskins they start to get brittle. They're not elastic anymore. And if you were to put new wine into it after a couple times of fermenting wine, as that wine ferments, it expands and there's no ability for that thing to expand and it just bursts. 
And he says, and you lose the wineskin and the wine. Now here's the second major subpoint. Jesus is using these two parables to say this. The gospel way of Jesus cannot be pigeonholed into or slapped onto any existing paradigm or rule of life. Because he's looking at this old garment, these old wineskins, and, and in his analogy, immediately he's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the written Torah, and he's talking about the years and years and years, the hundreds and hundreds of laws of the oral tradition called the Mishnah. And he, notice he's not saying, this is terrible, this is bad, you should turn from it, it's sinful. He's just saying it served its purpose. Your old garment served its purpose. The old wineskin served its purpose. Now it's being superseded by something new, which is the new patch, the new wine, which represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. It represents the message that God, by sheer grace, has returned for his bride. And he's like, your thing cannot contain that message. It cannot contain that power. It cannot contain that hope. It cannot contain that grace. So what's, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you think your version of the good life is mostly working. And I'm just here to patch the cracks. The old garment, man, it's comfortable. It's my favorite pair of jeans. It's my favorite shirt. But, you know, it's got this little hole here. I need to patch that. You think you can keep what you have going and just add me. This is what Jesus is saying. And he says, but I'm not here to play that game. I'm not here to ride your hobby horse. I'm not here to climb in the box that you made for me. I'm not here to be an appendage to this good thing that you already have going for you. Jesus is basically saying, I'm here to do something altogether new and it doesn't fit any of your paradigms. Anything that went before me ideologically, you have to choose. Now, if that sounds scary, like Jesus, wait, Jesus, because I have all this stuff I treasure, Jesus is saying, I have to choose, yes. Let me just review. So we're saying the gospel way of Jesus is more about celebrating his presence than it is checking off your performance. We said the gospel way of Jesus can't be pigeonholed into or slapped onto any existing paradigm or rule of life. But this is the third major point that Jesus is making with these parables. The gospel way of Jesus leads to salvation and satisfaction. You ever think about this? Why is Jesus talking about clothing and wine? It's because one is necessary for your safety and the other is necessary for your satisfaction. Why does Jesus go on and go out of his way to make the point that the unshrunk patch, when it tears away, actually makes the garment worse? Or when the new wine bursts the old wineskin, you actually lose both. Jesus is saying, if you're trying to do life on your terms or the world's, that is not a path to salvation or sanctification or satisfaction. You can't get there from here. And you actually end up losing not only Christ by making him an appendage to something completely different, but you lose the, the initial thing that you love so much, you also do not get that. Let's back up here for just a moment. What had Jesus really done to draw this criticism in the first place? I spoke on one of these stories two weeks ago. Gary spoke on the other last week. But backing up two weeks, Jesus had just healed a lame man. But instead of just saying, abracadabra, you're healed, get up and walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. 
And the old wine, the old wineskin says, no, 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 you can't say that, Jesus. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, I understand, but here's the new wine. I said your sins are forgiven because I am God. And to prove to you that I'm God, I'm gonna say, son, rise and go in peace. You are healed body and soul. And then what Gary spoke on last week is that Jesus calls this vile tax collector, a hated man by the name of Matthew, and then other notorious sinners, people who are willing to hang out with a tax collector and say that he's their friend, and Jesus starts feasting with them. And the Pharisees and the religious and the old wineskin comes and says, you wouldn't do that if you were a good person. If you were holy, like we are holy, you wouldn't be engaged in this kind of frivolity while we are fasting. And Jesus says, I understand that. But the new wine, the new wineskin is this. Who do you think needs a physician? The healthy, like you think you are, or the sick? And then he says, and while you're pondering that question, ponder another question. Why don't you go learn what your Bible actually says? And what are you seeing in these stories? The old wineskins are standing right there. They're represented by the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders. They're right there. They can't save anyone. They can't satisfy anyone. And Jesus walks into these stories and it's completely counterintuitive of what good Jews thought that he would actually be like and what he would actually do. But he's like forgiveness and feasting, forgiveness and feasting, forgiveness and feasting. And you should hear in those words, salvation and satisfaction. This is what Jesus is up to that, that annoys them so much. So let me just close with a pair of applications for us. Okay, these, are, these come in the form of two questions. Number one, what are you practicing right now that's inconsistent with the presence of God? Because I think that's one of the things we're meant to see in this story. We're like, we're jumping up and down because we're like, we know Jesus is the Messiah. And we're like, what are you doing fasting and being like, we're just, we're trying to be holy enough and good enough and contrite enough that God will hear us and send the person who's directly in front of us. But friends, we are not standing here and jumping up and down and pleading with God, please send your presence. God is present with us in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is with us. And maybe some of you, like the Pharisees, are still trying, trying, trying to earn or to merit God's favor. You're still stuck on rules and checklists. Your judgmental spirit is in hyperdrive because you're going through life like these Pharisees and you're seeing other people who don't live up to your rules and you're like, if they would just get it together, America would be awesome and things would be so great again as if they ever were. And, but never mind, like that's, that's another point. But, um, but then, there's this, then there's a secular form of that same thing, a secular judgmentalism that's like, we have all these attributes that everyone should value and we're sitting here in judgment on people that don't have them. And many of you, I fear, in a church like this would just simply be saying, the presence of God is not a joy to me because I'm so focused on my own performance. I don't deserve his presence. I'm not good enough, but I'm trying so hard. And then maybe many of you face the opposite danger. You're not missing Jesus' presence because you're legalistic. 
you may be missing his presence because of a more libertine spirit. What I mean is you're just so saturated with the things of the world, just doing what everyone else does, loving what everyone else loves, engaging and prioritizing what everyone else does, that you're like, am I hungry for Christ? No. I'm pretty satiated, actually. I'm good. So what are you practicing in your life that's inconsistent with the presence of God? And by the way, maybe some of you would be like, I'm not moralistic and I'm not like that immoral. I'm just kind of apathetic. You ever feel this way? You're like, I know I should feel something more in the presence of God, but I just don't. And I want you to hear in these stories that Jesus loves you. Whether you're religious or irreligious, And my desire is that you would hear the new wine of these words where he says, it is not about your performance, whether good or bad, but it's about my performance for you. I betroth you, I betroth you to me in righteousness, in steadfast love, in mercy. I rejoice over you. And the gospel response is simply, now go live as one who is unconditionally loved by the king. So what are you practicing in your life that's inconsistent with the presence of God? Now, question two, what are you adding to Jesus or what are you adding Jesus to to find meaning and satisfaction in your life? See, I think if Jesus came to Denver today, as he came to Capernaum 2,000 years ago, I don't think he'd pick a fight with Judaism. He might, but I think we need to see the story beneath the story. We need to see other layers that Jesus is coming to people who found their identity in orthodoxy, right? The performance of the Torah and the Mishnah. They found their identity in that. They found their sense of meaning and purpose in carrying on certain practices and traditions that they had inherited. They sought the good life by following a cultural script that had been handed them. Here, do this. And this is what the good life looks like. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. And then they look over at Jesus and Jesus isn't following their cultural script in all the ways that they wanted him to and all the ways that they thought he would. Now, here's how we go about this today. We start with finding our identity in certain things. Right? Our relationships. I want to be with the in crowd, not those people. Like, how will I know I'm some, some, somebody unless I'm accepted by those people? Unless I achieve a certain level of education at the right college or right postgraduate education, unless I get the right degrees, unless I get the right jobs with the right companies, unless I enjoy myself and I'm known as this really fun, I don't know, social media influencer or something. We set up all these things. And we're like, that's my identity. If people just knew me as this, I'd be good. And we start with chasing our sense of meaning and purpose in all these things. We start with seeking the good life. I just wanna have a good life. You know, I don't have to be the richest person in the world. I don't have to be pain-free, but I want a good life. And that's 
our goal. That's our trajectory. That's our focus. And then what happens as we actually go through life, we kind of subconsciously are telling Jesus to the degree that you help me achieve these things that I really want, then I find you useful. Pat you on. Because as we go through life, what's happening is if you try to wear any of the identities of the world and you were made in the image of God, said, that's not you the garment starts to tear somewhere. And if it hasn't yet, it will. And in that moment, our instinct is to blame God. Why is my identity tearing? And he's like, that doesn't look like me. What do you mean, why is your identity tearing? But then we come back to church or we spend a little bit of time in the word or we say a kind of a cursory prayer and we're like, there, that, okay. And then we continue to experience the anxiety and the depression of this, these things are not doing it for me. And, I, and I've tried Jesus and, and he's not doing it for me either. And I want, I want to just illustrate this and then I'm done. I, I've always had this picture in my mind that life is kind of like a puzzle. Um, this, this is not in the Bible. This is kind of how, I'm just illustrating, okay? I picture life like a jigsaw puzzle, Okay. And maybe some of you do like we do around the holidays, you're hanging out, you're talking with family, you're catching up with friends and you're putting one of these things together over a long period of time. The, the picture on the box, okay? You know how you have the picture on the box and you're like, when I'm done, this should look like that, right? And the picture on the box is Jesus because you wanna look like Jesus, right? So the picture on the box looks like Jesus because we're good Christians. We wanna look like Jesus. And you go through and you're, you're like me, like you're doing the edges first, like getting some easy stuff out of the way. Like this has a big stamp of the cross on it. So you're like, boom, nailed that part, easy. And then let me illustrate the difference between like our sense at this point, when we get stuck with the puzzle, when we get stuck with life, our sense versus reality. Our sense is, I feel like I'm missing a few pieces. You know that point in the puzzle making where you're like, it's not all here. The, the people that rented our VOB, VRBO before us clearly lost like a dozen pieces. And we're gonna get to the very end. So we have this sense where like some of the pieces are missing and some of this is really, really hard. That's our sense. The reality is this. We're working with a few pieces of the Jesus puzzle. And we've got a bunch of random pieces from other puzzles. Because in reality, we're pursuing the American dream puzzle, the expressive individualism puzzle, the moral relativism puzzle, the pressure to succeed puzzle, the social justice puzzle, the conservative or progressive or independent, whatever you are, puzzle, the, the YOLO, FOMO, live for the weekend puzzle. And it's all in the box. And we're trying to put it together. And here's what I hear Jesus saying in this text is he comes to you and says, child, that is never going to look like me. Can we start over? Okay, how do you do that? What's the solution? Well, I just wanna point you to Colossians 3 where Paul picks up on Jesus' metaphor of this old garment. But instead of saying, "Throw throw a Jesus patch on it, Keep your Judaism, keep your self-made identity, keep your worldly paradigms and ways of thinking and doing things. Paul has a very different response. He says this. He says, put off 
the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He's saying the same thing as Jesus. He's just expounding on this metaphor. And he's saying, you can't keep patching it because you will lose the original thing you were after, plus you will lose Christ. You'll never really have either. So what do I do? I, I take off the old and say, God, it's soiled. It's, it's never going to work. I confess, I repent, I take it off. I leave it behind. I, I wanna put on what looks like my Lord Jesus Christ. And, and my hope and encouragement is right in the middle of this where he says, which is being renewed. And it's a passive verb, which means someone is acting on you. God in his kindness is acting on you to actually renew you, to transform you, to make things new. So when you're like, I don't have the strength to put, like, don't live for the weekend and expressive individual. I mean, this, what will become of my identity if I take it off? Everything will become of your identity if you put on Christ. Everything will become of your identity. Everything. So Jesus is saying the gospel way of following me is incompatible with every single human paradigm, ideology, worldview, rule of life. And in the end, your piecemeal patchwork Christianity leads neither to Christ nor to satisfaction. It simply ruins both. So here's my one big idea if you leave with one thing. Jesus alone is your source of forgiveness and salvation that you need and of the feasting and satisfaction that you so deeply desire. And this is Jesus' invitation. Leave it all behind. I'm here. I'm God. I can take care of you. And we will feast forever. Amen. Let's pray, and as we bow for just a moment, I want you to just, just take a moment now before we celebrate communion together and just ask God to search your heart for a moment. Like, say, God, what is my real, and I mean functional, source of identity, meaning, purpose, satisfaction? For the Jews, it was Judaism, it was the Torah, it was the Mishnah, it was their traditions, it was stuff like fasting. For you and I, it's very different, which is why I said I think if Jesus came now in the way that he came then, he'd probably target something else. And I gave you a few examples of that. But for you, what is the functional source of those things? And where is it beginning to tear? Where are you trying to add Jesus or patch on Jesus or, or, or piecemeal Jesus into this good thing that's just not quite there. Would you take that thing off, repent and put on Christ? And if you want just a further dialogue, a conversation about what that looks like to turn from that thing and to put on Jesus, and be found in him and be forgiven and be free and be feasting in his joy, I'd love to talk. Many, of, many people sitting around you would love to talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son and, and allowing him and causing him to be exactly who he is. 
Thank you, Jesus, for being not the Messiah that we think we want, but being the Messiah that we actually need. One that can completely forgive us and completely satisfy us. Lord, in the quiet of this moment, quietness of this moment, just spirit, shine a light into where we have just run and run hard after the good life on our terms. We've created a structure in our life that seems to work. It seems to explain everything. It seems to, to make us significant and important, and we feel good about feeling good. And before it's too late, Lord, would you show us where that's going to tear where that's going to burst. And we'll lose both that ideology, that rule of life, and we will lose the wine that it contained or could have contained, which is simply the hope of your grace. Lord, lead someone here this morning to the presence of Jesus and help him or her to find you all satisfying. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.